Good morning. Thank you, Shiori, for sharing about uh, Charlene and her, her ministry. Um, you know, something I really appreciate about uh, Charlene's ministry is that it's, it, it's so very unconventional. Um, y- you can tell by what Shiori shared and where she's been and what she's done for the Lord and where she is now, um, Lord, that, that the Lord just pulls her in and calls her to do many things for him. And God uses her in different ways to spread the good news to others, whether that be working with Muslims in the Middle East or administrating the Jesus film around the world, right? She answers the call, and she does what what the Lord asks of her. Um, Our God is a God of change and transformation. Amen? Change and transformation um, is part of what our Lord is is constantly doing in us and around the world. And I think one of the most significant personal changes uh, that I've ever been witness to is, is my friend Richard. So I just want to share a couple minutes about my friend Richard. Uh, Richard and I met at USC, and when we first met over 30 years ago, I'd say he was, he was kind of your typical USC student. So <laughs> those who went to USC maybe know what I'm talking about, but he was a clean white guy from Thousand Oaks. Okay, I don't know what a dirty white guy from Thousand Oaks would look like, okay, but he was a, he was a clean guy. Um, he, uh, he dressed very nicely. He dressed very preppy-like. Uh, he had a nice bike to ride around campus. He had a nice backpack. Um, he was very, very proper, and uh, he was very well-suited as a student on campus. But he was totally out of place, if you know what I mean, off campus, right? In the hood, in the neighborhood around USC, right? Totally unsuited for that. Um, he would have told you this at the time, right? So I'm not sharing, I think, anything that he wouldn't tell you, right? He would have said, he hated the surroundings, and he would have told you at the time that it was disturbing to him what he would see in the surroundings around USC. So coming from clean, safe, sanitized Thousand Oaks, he wasn't used to the poverty, the crime, uh, the grittiness, uh, the broken conditions of South LA. But as we went through Bible study, and as we did ministry together, and not just he and I, right, but in our campus fellowship and with other believers, as we did that, Jesus got a hold of him, and his heart for the community changed. Right? In Ezekiel, it talks about God changing our hearts and turning our hearts of stone to a heart of flesh. Right? And, and I think this is partly what happened to Richard. And lo and behold, after graduation, when everyone's making their plans to like go work in corporate, you know, and go and live someplace else, Richard made the surprising decision to stay or to move into the neighborhood. And he eventually bought a home a few blocks away from USC, and he started a nonprofit community development organization that's been serving the community now for 30 years. 
and they run a tutoring center for kids. They started neighborhood watch programs. They advocate for the poor and the neglected. They've gone before the Los Angeles City Council. They've gone downtown and had liquor stores closed, certain areas rezoned, and alleyways gated because those places are havens for drugs, for gangs, for prostitution. They've had trees planted, they've had sidewalks repaired, and they've had hazardous drilling in the neighborhood stopped. And they've given the hope and the love of Jesus to their neighbors in South LA. And to, the, to this day, Richard and his wife and their three children, they live in the neighborhood. Right? And he's still a nice, clean, white guy. <laughs> Right? But he's grown to love the community that God has placed him in. And the reason I bring this up is that I think it's a good backdrop for us about the restoration and change that God can bring to a community. But it starts, it starts with the heart of the believer. And that's what I think we see in Nehemiah. So before we uh, look at our passage this morning, let's, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, as we open up your word this morning, Lord, we know it's alive. We know that it ministers to us, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us this morning and that the words that come out, Lord, would be your thoughts, your heart, your intentions, Lord, for us, for our church, and for our community here. And we pray that you would get all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm covering Nehemiah 2 today, and so I'm going to read, you can see on your program and on the screen, uh, a lot of the verses, so uh, bear with me. And I'll skip a few verses here and there, but I'll read straight through. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing of, but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what, my, 
what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So the setting here is 5th century B.C., And in 5th century B.C., many of the Jewish people had returned. They had returned to Israel from exile. They had been scattered about, see, these past years in different regions, in different provinces by their captors. First the Babylonians, then the Persians. But they were now being allowed to return to their homeland. And it was a blessing. It was truly a blessing that they were able to, to return but they still face great difficulty. Their capital city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. The walls, the gates, and the temple had been burnt down. Foreigners had moved in, and they were still under Persian rule. I think what the story, though, of Nehemiah ultimately shows us is that God's people can still fulfill his purpose. And what was that purpose? It's helping rebuild a city in order to restore the worship and salvation of God in that city. See, this is what the walls of Jerusalem represent. Nehemiah is a story of rebuilding and renewal by the people of God so that others may experience the worship and blessing of God. In the Old Testament, Right, if you know your Old Testament history, Jerusalem is the center of worship. Right? And that's why Nehemiah grieves over it. See, there were probably other cities that had been destroyed or decimated, but they weren't the center of worship for the people of God. God chose his people to bring others into true worship. And it's the same today. You and I have an obligation to help restore what has been lost for people in the community that they might experience the worship and blessing of the one true God. See, that's what Richard was doing in South L.A. That's what Nehemiah was doing when he set out to rebuild the walls and the gates. Because they knew, they knew that God's people and God's presence is what brings life and flourishing to the city. Not just a new building project, but God's people and God's presence bringing God's blessing. Spreading the worship of God is the ultimate purpose here. John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's why we go forth. That's why missionaries go out. 
Right? That's why Charlene Kiabu does what she does. In today's passage, we see first that the king asked Nehemiah why he looks so downcast. Right? See, in the beginning of the chapter, what's the reason for his sadness of heart? And Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. See, first we need to understand that there was a risk Nehemiah was taking here. In those days, showing sadness before the king. But let me ask, who here wears their emotions on their sleeves? Who's emotional and like you just have to, right? You just can't hide it, right? Some of you, the rest of us hide it, <laughs> right? Try to like, you know, resist what's, what's taking place maybe in our hearts or our emotions. In those days, right, showing your emotions before the king, especially if you're close to him, you work in his court as Nehemiah did as the cupbearer, right? That could get you thrown in prison. That could get you killed. Nehemiah couldn't help it, though. Right? In verse 3, he explains that the city of his ancestors, Jerusalem, lays in ruins. It's been destroyed by fire. And boldly he asked the king, can I go and rebuild it? Send me to rebuild it. You know, it's like asking your boss. It's like going to your boss and asking him, right, can I take a year off to do this other thing? <laughs> right? And your boss is thinking, something more important here than, right, than work and than what, what we have to do? Right? So it's, he's sticking his neck out to do what God has given him a burden to do. Let me ask you, do you have a burden? Is there something that God has placed on your heart that weighs on you that you would be willing to stick your neck out for? I hope so. I do hope so. We see in chapter 1 last week when Pastor Corey preached Nehemiah heard about the state of Jerusalem. What's the first thing he did? Right? The first thing he did was he sat down and he wept. And then he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And you can't tell this by the scripture, but between chapters 1 and 2, there's a period of months that take place. He does this for four months. Call it vision, call it conviction, call it passion. But as God's people, these are things the Lord wants to cultivate in us. See, in our society today, and even in the church, apathy, indifference, right, is a huge problem. And it may be even more of a problem coming off of this pandemic. Right? But for some of us, there's no burden, there's no fire to take action or compulsion, right, to step out. And when we're not battling apathy, we're struggling with our own self-centeredness. And I know that's the case for me sometimes. Right, beloved, serving the Lord almost always requires a compromise, a sacrifice of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our efforts, it's seldom convenient. Jesus says in Matthew, 
If you want to follow him, if you want to be his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Having a real burden to do something for the Lord is both a blessing and a curse in that way. Right? Because it requires us to take risk, it requires us to sacrifice, and it requires us to step out of our normal routine. But I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you to pray for that kind of sensitivity. I think if we're open to it, God will give us. He will mold us. He will help us to have that, that compassion and that burden. When Nehemiah prayed for hope and renewal for his people, he didn't just sit back right, and say, let God now do the work. Right? Let him take care of it. But he thought about what he could do. When the king granted him permission to go, Nehemiah then asked for letters to the governors of the neighboring territories in which he would pass, right? And he was asking for safety, safe passage, and supplies. See, Nehemiah was bold, right? But he was driven by his devotion to the rebuilding of the walls and to the worship of God. And in verse 8, he says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. See, Nehemiah was granted favor by an unbelieving king. This is the king of Persia we're talking about, not a Jewish king. By an unbelieving king, right? Because his heart, Nehemiah's heart, was aligned with God's will. He had God's favor and God's hand upon him. This is the Lord paving the way for Nehemiah to go and to do his will. Even in an unbelieving society, right, we the church can make inroads with God's favor. It reminds me of the prayer, the simple prayer of St. Peter. Right back in March, it was, uh, sorry, St. Patrick, and we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Right, on March 17th, but it reminds me of the simple prayer of St. Patrick who helped bring Christianity to Ireland and other parts of Northern Europe. He said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. That was it. That was his simple prayer. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. In the next part of the passage, Nehemiah rides around the city of Jerusalem and he surveys the damage. Right? And it says he examines the various walls and gates. The valley gate, the jackal well, the dung gate. Ew. Right? Right? They had been broken down and destroyed by fire. So he went and he saw the devastation firsthand. On Thursday... I was here at church and I was preparing for the message and I thought, I really need to go out and spend a little time in the neighborhood here in West Covina. Right? And like Nehemiah, I need to go and see the city. I need to develop a love and concern for it. So I decided to do a prayer walk around the neighborhood, which, I, which I've done several times in the past. Right, just praying around the neighborhood um, 
around our church here. <clears throat> but after my meetings in the morning, um, and then lunch, right, and then it got later in the day, um, I decided to make it a prayer drive instead. <laughs> right, drive instead of walk. Um, and that was probably better, right, because my short legs can't take me very far, very fast, but it's probably better because I was able to see more and pray over more of the city. Like I went to some of the parks, I went to some of the schools, some of the neighborhoods in the area, some of the other churches in the area, the senior center. And you know what I saw? Well, let me tell you what I didn't see. I didn't see broken walls. Okay? I didn't see burnt down gates or burnt down buildings. What I saw were nice homes. I saw nice streets. I saw people walking their dogs. I saw people taking care of their lawns, kids playing at the park. I saw high school games going on. You, you know, the worst thing I saw, I think, was a four-year-old boy who took a time out from playing football with his friends at the park to go behind the tree and pee. <laughs> but he stood on the street side, right? So you could see, like, <laughs> you know, and at first glance, West Covina is a great city. It's a nice city. But while things may look fine on the surface, right, beneath the surface, I think there's a brokenness and a decay. And of course, that's not just West Covina. Right? I think that's many of our cities, all of our cities that, that we live in. There's a brokenness and decay. It's not obvious. And we can't see into the lives of all of our neighbors. But listen to the, some, of the, some of the statistics for West Covina and the surrounding area. Okay, and some of these statistics are pre-pandemic, so they could be even worse. One in eight households live in poverty. One in eight live below the poverty line. Unemployment rate is 12%. Right, during the height of the pandemic, it was over 20%. 30% of households are considered at risk because the household either includes someone that's disabled or no one in the home speaks English or they have no means of transportation. 30%. Only 29% of adults in this city have a college degree. Only 23% attend some kind of religious service regularly. Less than a quarter. Right? Talk about spiritual decay. And these statistics, they don't include things like crime, or abuse, or illiteracy, or addiction, or depression. But they indicate that many in our community, and perhaps some of us, right, are struggling, and we're suffering in one way or another. And I believe what God is saying to us this morning is that we should care. We should have a burden about the broken conditions and the spiritual decay around us. And we should pray about what the Lord would have us do. 
that doesn't mean that we can be all things to all people, right? The Lord knows what we can and what we can't do. But isn't this what loving your neighbor is all about? In verse 17 and 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. This is back in the passage, Nehemiah, saying, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls, the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. See, this is the first point at which Nehemiah actually calls people together and makes his plans known. Up until this point, he kept his thoughts from the other Jewish officials. From early in scripture, though, from the days when Abraham was called out of his country to be a blessing to the world. God has made it clear that he intends for us to play a role in how history unfolds. At every stage, right, God invites us to participate with him. And as followers of his, we are called to live out our part in the local community in which he's placed us. And this is what Nehemiah calls his brothers and sisters to do here in verse 17. Our faith, right, our faith in the Lord, our Christian faith, faith is devotion to God, which moves us to action. As we grow in our love and devotion for the Lord, our hearts grow for those around us. He gives us a burden and compassion that we didn't used to have. And I think that's one way to gauge whether you're growing in your faith or not. See, over time, does your perspective change? Does your heart change? Do your priorities change? Because if they do, one day you'll find that you end up doing something for the Lord you never thought you would do. And that's a good thing. And that's exactly what happened to my friend Richard. See, faith is like a muscle, right? It must be exercised, and it must be active. And like most things, I think it's better to be active together, together as one. Right? It's better to worship together, isn't it? It's better to, to work together. It's better to do Tai Chi together or drink chai tea together. <laughs> right? Nehemiah had a burden and a vision for the worship and salvation of God, and he wanted to see it restored to the people, but it was carried out in community. It was carried out as a group effort by the people of God. Our faith is personal, yes, but it's meant to be lived out together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
a cord of three strands, right? Us with the Lord is not quickly broken. So as the Lord leads us to serve in the community, we serve together and we rebuild the walls together. And just so we understand, right? Jerusalem, it represents the worship and salvation of God. Rebuilding the walls in the city means going out and taking his life-giving presence to our community. And it sounds great, right? It's what we want to see for all of our communities. It sounds wonderful. But we can't do it unless both you and I are walking with the Lord. All right, so I want to end with this. What are the walls and gates of your life like? Are you full of Christ's abundant life? Do you sense his presence Monday through Saturday and not just on Sundays? Although life is difficult, do you find praise and thanks flowing from your lips? Or are your walls and gates broken down? What is your spiritual life like? See, maybe our first step towards rebuilding is assessing our own spiritual walk, our own personal relationship with the Lord. Our service will be short-lived otherwise if God is not the source of our strength and our enthusiasm. And as with Nehemiah, it begins with devotion to God, a burden for the city, that things aren't the way that they should be. And it involves prayer and aligning with God's will. And as we pray and as we plan and as we work together, God molds and shapes right, our hearts and our minds. Right? And then we do the work. And then we do, like the Israelites said with Nehemiah at the end of this chapter, let us start rebuilding. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we know that uh, many people in our community, Lord, don't know you, don't experience you, um, don't have a sense of your loving presence and your gracious hand, Lord, and we want them to see that. We want them to know you. We want them to come to worship you. We want to, Lord, do things that will trigger that response in them. But Lord, first, we want you to do this in us. Lord, if we're far from you, if we're distant, if we've, Lord, have trouble seeing you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would meet us. Speak to us, Lord, in our um, in-between moments, in our quiet times. Um, minister to us, Lord. Help us to know, Lord, of your power, your strength, your confidence, your love, your care, your mercy and grace. And may we go and together, Lord, then share that with the community around us. Share that with West Covina and our neighboring cities. Share that where we live. Share that where we come to church. Lord, we pray that you would receive all the praise and glory that eyes and hearts would be turned to you. 
and that you would bring us your renewal and your rebuild and your restoration in our lives and in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.